Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. The message for today comes from Genesis chapter 33, verse 1 through 11. Listen to what God is saying to you. Jacob looked up and saw Esau approaching with 400 men. Jacob divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two women servants. He put the servants and their children first, Leah and her children after them, and Rachel and Jacob last, Joseph last. He himself went in front of them and bowed to the ground seven times as he was approaching his brother. But Esau ran to, him, ran to meet him, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him, and they wept. Esau looked up and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, the children that God generously gave your servant. The women's servants and their children came forward and bowed down. Then Leah and her servants also came forward and bowed. And afterward, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed. Esau said, what's the meaning of this entire group of animals that I met? Jacob said, to ask for my master's kindness. Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what's yours. Jacob said, no, please, do me the kindness of accepting my gift. Seeing your face is, the like, is like seeing God's face, since you're accepted me so mourning. Take this present that I've brought because God has been generous to me, and I have everything I need. So Jacob persuaded him, and he took it. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. You may have seen that Pastor Emily is here today, uh, or caught her during passing of the peace. <laughs> she, uh, she just returned from a 10-day retreat, and uh, I'm sure in the weeks to come we'll be sharing some about that. But, um, but today we have the great gift of, uh, of Pastor Tim Kim from Rune Branch. He's here to share the, the message with us today. Um, so just as a way of introduction, uh, uh, from what I know about Tim, uh, he, is, uh, he is the co-founder and pastor currently at Root and & Branch. And if you were here for Advent, you might remember that we did a brunch church uh, across the way in Fellowship Hall. And we actually uh, borrowed that, that from uh, Tim's church. They do a dinner church there. So um, that, that, uh, that comes from uh, his mind and his work. He is also, uh, before that, he was part of Urban Village Church's inaugural intern program. And, uh, and served as a leader at Wicker Park, so he is well familiar with, uh, with UBC. And, uh, and also told me that he is a Los Angeles native and a super sad Lakers fan. <laughs> and so with that, I'd like to invite Tim up to give the message today. Very sad Lakers fan. Um, hi, everybody. I'm honored to be here as a guest preacher uh, back in a place where I basically started ministry for myself, um, uh, which inspired me to go out and plant my own church, which I, which I did about six years ago. 
I'm also glad to be here for Emily. I think if anyone else asked me, I would have said no, but um, you're a friend. <laughs> Along with Rich, um, two people who have been important to me, so I'm glad to be here for you. It's never easy kind of just parachuting in as a guest preacher, right? Um, you don't know me. I don't know you. It would have been nice if I was given an easy topic like friendship or something. But, um, <laughs> but no, we're here to talk about forgiveness, which is uh, something that is really just fraught, right, with all this deep and wide emotion right? because it touches so many nerves that we have, our pain, our hurt, our anger, as well as I think equally our strong desires to love people and to be healed and to flourish, right? So if I may, as I start talking about forgiveness, I want to start by uh, sharing a personal story about my relationship with my dad, my father. I always feel a little bad talking about him publicly like this because it makes him seem like he was a really bad <laughs> father, but he wasn't. He was a good, you know, he did his best. He's a good man. Um, but as many of you know, things can be complicated, right? My father was an immigrant to this country. He came in the late 70s during a time where uh, many South Koreans were coming into the States getting visas. He, like a lot of Korean fathers, is a man of very few words, continues to be a man of very few words. I don't feel like I know him very well, what he cares about, what makes him tick, what he thinks about the world. Uh, when I was younger, I remember really only uh, a relationship of anger coming from him. We didn't interact much except when he was uh, upset about something. My father is also a pastor, and uh, maybe because of that, I don't know why, but we grew up also very poor, right? And, you know, is it wrong or right to expect your parents to provide a certain life for you? I don't know, but either way, I definitely felt uh, some type of way about that. Right? <laughs> was it a lack of respect? I wonder why my father wasn't a successful businessman like all my other immigrant friends. Why did I have to wear the same shirt to school every day, right? Pastor's kids have um, issues. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a theory about this. Is, is that okay? she, she, she doesn't need to hear this. I think when a child is younger and uh, they look up to their parents for attention, for safety, for encouragement, for resources, uh, the pastor's head is always turned away looking at the church. So I think... That's why we're screwed up. Um, so I never really thought about this idea of forgiving my father until one day he actually asked me to do that. My parents came to Chicago for Thanksgiving, uh, I want to say four years ago. It's actually the only time they've ever been here in my 10 years here. Uh, they were staying with me one night, and for some reason, we started to have this conversation about our relationship, right? My mother is a family counselor these days, and um, to my parents' credit, they've both done a lot of deep individual work together as well on their own crap as people and, and as parents. So maybe this was part of the process or something, but we started talking about it. And my father asked me to forgive him for being an angry person, for uh, not making enough money when I was younger to give us what we needed. And he wept as he said these things, and uh, you know that was really, I think, the third time I had seen him cry in my life. We embraced... I wept too as I told him it was okay, I forgive you. Except, you know, I have to wonder, did I actually forgive him, right? Is it, what does that even mean, you know? And something I have thought a lot about after that day. 
What do we imagine when we think of forgiveness, right? What do we see? More specifically, who do we see? So I'm just going to ask us to all take a second here. Um, we can close our eyes if you're comfortable. And just see who pops up when you think of that question. Maybe you saw a face of someone you know personally, right? A parent, a friend, an ex-lover, the worst kind. Uh, maybe it's more general, a more general and distant face-to-face -face of the kind of person who harms you. Maybe some of you even saw God's face. Our Bible story is about twin brothers who have a lot of beef with each other. Uh, it's not really necessary for me to get into all why they actually had this beef, but uh, let me just say that at one point Esau threatened to kill Jacob, and Jacob fleed because he was scared. So, in our reading, the two are finally meeting again after years of being separated with this anger, this estrangement. Again, I want to say they're not simply two brothers who lost uh, contact because life got in the way. No, there is real uh, danger here, right? And the run-up to this meeting is fraught with a lot of anxiety and tension. Jacob orders his family in such a way to protect the people he likes the best, right? He puts the people he doesn't like that much in the front, <laughs> his favorite wife in the back, right? Because there is a real chance that this encounter will end in a mass slaughter. Right, yet things go so differently uh, that the two brothers embrace. After they embrace, uh, Jacob says to Esau, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Right before this particular story, there's another weird one in which Jacob is hanging out in the desert when he encounters a mysterious figure, and this mysterious, mysterious figure and him wrestle all night until this mystery person blesses Jacob. And Jacob says after that, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Right? It's a very weird story, which is saying something coming from the Bible. <laughs> Who was this unnamed mystery person? One Midrash says that the figure was the patron saint of Esau, an angel coming to attack Jacob before their in-person encounter. Someone I know, some scholar person, right, uh, also once told me maybe it was Esau himself. Either way, Jacob believes himself to have seen the face of God, and in seeing his brother, he uses that same description. I love that phrase, uh, to see your face, like, that's like a, a beautiful phrase to me. Right? I think about it all the time. The sentiment that comes easy to me when I, you know, maybe see my mother after a long period of time or an old friend. Uh, but in this context, that of the story of uh, this encounter with Jacob and Esau, and also in the historical understanding of that phrase, face of God, sentimentality is actually less instructive than something more literal, I think. One who sees the face of God dies, as Jacob reminds us, right? And to see the face of God then is in another person is perhaps the best, best proxy we have. And if one takes the incarnation seriously, it is actually quite literal and real right, to see the face of God in another. As a good post-millennial or post-modern millennial Christian person, right, I'm very skeptical of all things as they relate to the nature of God, the descriptions of God that we see. Who is God? What is God? I don't know. Even though I'm a pastor, I don't know. Right? This is all kind of a journey to figure that out. Right? But the truest thing I can say about God 
is that the literal seeing of God's face in another is a revelation all the time. Right? The ability to see God's face in one another is a gift. Right? And that is grace, as it was for Jacob in that encounter with the mysterious wrestler and his brother. Right? And so it is grace for us. Right? And, each of a, and each face that we see in this way, uh, for me, it begins to form a mosaic. Right? And so when you step back and you take that whole picture in, everything comes to reveal the very face of God. Forgiveness is a gift as well, one that stands firmly within this economy of grace, right? Which means uh, that, like grace, forgiveness is without precondition. Reconciliation and redemption actually stand outside this economy. I think that's a topic for next week. Thank God I'm not pushing on that one. <laughs> What I mean by this is that we are talking about something that uh, doesn't actually have to do with other people. Only you, only me. It's personal, deeply personal, right? We might think uh, of fairness in this world looking something like, you know, someone screws you over, they come to you, they're like, I'm so sorry for doing that. How can I make it up to you? Please forgive me. And after all that, we can say we forgive them, right? And that might be fair. But forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is not the same thing as fairness, right? When we talk of forgiveness, we are standing on very holy ground, right? Firmly outside this paradigm of uh, fairness, outside the economy of exchange that pervades so much of American life, um, removed perhaps, I dare say, even from something like justice. And on this holy ground, we both receive forgiveness just as we are called to forgive. And call may be too, word, too weak of a word here. It may even be command. Or actually, in another way of looking at it, it might be that we are threatened by this. Forgive us as our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Right? This comes from the Lord's Prayer, which I thought you would do, but apparently you don't do that here. You just wrote up your own prayer. Oh, you do do it here. Okay, great. So you all know it. Unclear here is the relationship between these two clauses, right? Forgive us uh, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What's the relationship between those two parts? And unbeknownst to me until very recently, this relationship between these two things has actually been a subject of hot debate in Christian thought. As hot of a debate as can be in Christian thought. (laughs) Are we forgiven by God only if we forgive other people? Literally, the next verse after the Lord's Prayer says this. If you forgive those who have stumbled and gone astray, then your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you will not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your missteps. What a frightening proposition. So much so that it was reported that in the 5th century, um, some monks would actually omit this part of the prayer because they were worried that they couldn't do it, and so therefore God would not forgive them. This strikes me as an almost impossible task, an impossible command. The kind of command we see we, from Jesus from time to time where we're like, ah, I'm pretty sure that one's metaphorical. We don't have to do it. <laughs> and rightfully so, because it's not easy. It might actually be the hardest thing we ever do, but that does not mean it's impossible. In a conversation at my church a couple months ago, we were dis- discussing this um, idea of agape love. Right? Agape love is... I won't get into all of it, but it's just say unconditional love, right? 
And there was a, a, a woman there, and she was telling me about how her and her partner were sort of joking with each other about how, oh, yeah, I love you. I think unconditionally, of course, unless you, you know, killed my family or something, right? And on its face, such an example places a notion like agape uh, firmly out of reach, right? It places it in the aspirational but not really real, right? What a ludicrous idea it is to uh, love and forgive someone who has murdered your family. And yet we are reminded time and time again that what we think is impossible actually finds its home in the very real, the all-too-real. Right? In statements and actions by those who have lost loved ones at the hands of others. From Emmanuel AME to an Amish schoolhouse in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the words of Jesus on the cross, right? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I do need to say that talking about mass shootings in this way makes me feel a little bit weird. Right? I think it's because it's a little brutal to use examples of this kind of suffering to make a point. I'm sure some of you might share that feeling with me. But I do think that the stakes here are very severe and real. Right? If we don't see the possibility of the impossible, if our imaginations cannot expand uh, large enough to encompass just how deep love goes, the one that we are given and we are to give to others, then there is no forgiveness here. Right? Only fairness, only exchange, only transactions. The cycle of violence rolls on. Right? As Jesus' teaching on forgiveness indicates, if we cannot do this impossible thing, right, we may look uh, in the mirror only to find that what we thought was grace received was actually cheap grace, right? a lie we told ourselves. In this reality, we step back to see the face of God in this mosaic, right? But then we only see our, our face staring back at us. Right? Can we believe that grace is always within the realm of possibility for us? Do we believe this? That's a question I think we need to all ask ourselves. So I've thought a lot about this question, back to my father, right? What it means... For me to forgive him. And it occurred to me I had a real problem here. There was something off, right? Was it that I could not see God in my father? Very real possibility. No, right? I actually realized after some meditation, after years of thinking about this, right, that in fact I did see God in my father's face. And therefore, what I really needed to do forgive God. And that's the absurdity of this forgiveness thing, right? The one who forgives is also in need of forgiveness, right? Because when we are truly forgiven, our eyes are open to see God. I don't really know exactly how this uh, relationship between forgiveness we receive from God and the forgiveness we extend to others uh, really works. I don't have a final answer for that debate. But insofar as there is a relationship there, I believe it looks something like this. Right? We are given this gift from God so that we might actually give it back to God. That we might forgive God, to put it in that strange, maybe scandalous way. Right? To receive the gift of forgiveness means we get to see the face of God and live. And we live to forgive as we have been forgiven.
So I want to ask you again, whose face do you see when you think about forgiveness? I pray that it might be God's face. I'm going to end here by leaving you with a poem, something of a tradition at, uh, at my church. This poem is called Poplar Street by Chen Chen. Oh, sorry, hello. Are you on your way to work too? I was just taken aback by how you also had a briefcase, also small and brown. I was taken by how you seem secretly to love everything. Are you my new coworker? Oh, I see, no. Still, good to meet you. I'm trying out this thing where it's good to meet people. Maybe beyond briefcases, we have some things in common. I like jelly beans. I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of farting, even around people I love. <laughs> Do you think your mother loves you when you fart? Does your mother love you all the time? Have you ever doubted? I like that the street we're on is named after a tree, when there are none, popular or otherwise. I wonder if a tree has ever been named after a street, whether that worked out. If I was a street, I hope I'd get a good name, not main or one way. One night, I ran out of an apartment down North Pleasant Street. It was soft and neighborly, with pines and oaks. It felt too hopeful after what happened. After my mother's love became doubtful, after I told her I liked a boy, and she wished I had never been born. After she said she was afraid of me, terrified I would infect my brothers with my abnormality. Sometimes parents and children become the most common strangers. Eventually, a street appears where they can meet again, or not. I've doubted my own love for my mother. I doubt. Do I have to forgive in order to love, or do I have to love for forgiveness to even be possible? What do you think? I'm trying out this thing where questions about love and forgiveness are a form of work I'd rather not do alone. I'm trying to say, let's put our briefcases in our heads, on our heads, in the sudden rain, and continue meeting as if we've just been given our names. Amen. <laughs>